has helped several pro athletes, companies, organizations, and sports teams overcome their mental blocks, reach their peak potential, increase their performance, produce more results, and just have more fun in their life and business. Bring me the energy, all right? Choose will determine what you build a five million dollar brand that almost sounds overwhelming just saying that or just asking that question but let's get into it and talk about it on this episode that i'm super excited for on the entrepreneur underdog let's bring in the show this is the entrepreneur underdog business secrets to help doubted entrepreneurs triumph the Underdog Entrepreneur is where we use fast-acting shortcuts to help underdog entrepreneurs make more money, have a bigger impact, and live a better lifestyle so that they can prove their haters wrong. And now, your host, Roy Red. Roy Red. Hey everybody, it's Roy Red, five-time best-selling author, internationally recognized speaker, and your host of this show, the Entrepreneur Underdog, where we share fast-acting shortcuts to help underdog entrepreneurs win in life and business. And today I am super excited. We are going to be talking about marketing. We are going to be talking about branding. We are going to be talking about building a business at a nine-figure level. I'm super excited to introduce Victoria Wick, who is a genius, business grower, jewelry creator, TV show host, and just somebody I'm super excited to have on the show today. Victoria, how are you? Great. How are you, Roy? Great to uh, be here and thanks for inviting me. I'm so excited. You have such an amazing energy and uh, a way to deliver a very complex subject in a, in a quick, fun way. And I think that's a talent. You know what? I was when I was kind of reaching out and posting and emailing to my list, I was thinking mm-hmm. about world-class people and I sent out my list. I said, because I teach people how to do podcasting and stuff as well. And a lot of times they're scared to reach out to people and you, they, so many people want to reach out to people on your level. And I said, you know, world-class people are always willing to share their message. They're always willing to, to, to teach and really help 
you just got to reach out strategically. So I just wanted to say thank you again for coming on. And you're really a world-class person. Your communication, just so easy to work with. Um, for one of my biggest interviews, you're, you are easier to work with, with than people who haven't even done what you've done. So I just wanted to say thank you for that. Well, thank you so much. You know what, Roy? You're, you're absolutely right how astute of you because I've actually done the same thing that you've done is, you know, I look at if you want to be successful, what do you do? You want to figure out, well, how did other people get successful, right? What is the common thread? Yeah. And what I found was that it was easier to get to the CEOs of a multi-billion dollar company to give me help yeah. than the buyers at a department store. You know, they're easier to get a hold of and they are much more generous with their time and knowledge. And it, that I found that to be really interesting. Yeah. And it's mm -hmm. it before, you know, that doesn't sound correct if you don't know. But like I was telling my a friend of mine, I said, you know, it's, it's you'll be surprised how guys who are already successful on hundred million billion dollar level, they want to help. They're more positive, And those are the people that it's actually easier to get around. And they're willing to, willing to help you, uh, Victoria. Real quick, for the couple people who are on who don't know who you are and what you do, just kind of explain your background really quick, what you do, and uh, the brand that you built. So first off, I'm gonna correct you that you were incorrect when you called me a genius <laughs> uh, in the of the show, <laughs> because I am here to tell you that I am maybe an average person, um, you know, with a lot of flaws and started my life with absolutely no money, no mentors, no expertise and no right to be successful or to even to be dreaming of anything. Mm -hmm. And yet I'm here to tell you that I have built a $500 million business and it's not to um, brag about it, but I, my whole intention here today is to hopefully with my journey, all the good stuff and the bad stuff and everything in between mm -hmm. that um, listeners can apply this to their lives yeah. and hopefully it'll impact it in a way that's positive. Yeah. Um, so now what was your question again, Roy? Yeah. <laughs> Original question. Yeah, so yeah. just uh, about your brand, uh, what yeah. inspired you to start yeah. it and, and, um, and uh, right. so tell us the early... Yeah, I got it. Okay, so briefly, um, I immigrated here to this country with my parents when I was about 12, going on to 13. Mm -hmm. And um, I lived in a you know small little island, and we didn't really have, uh, you know, you're 12, 13 years old, you, you don't understand the finances or world affairs or anything like that. Yeah. Um, Korea was a very monolithic country. Uh, um, at that time, still is about about 95% of the people who live there are Koreans. Mm -hmm. So uh, we didn't see, a, there was not a whole lot of political division or really any other division, you know. So I come to America uh, at that point, uh, which was sold to us as the uh, the promised land. Yeah. Uh, we got here, and if you recall, in the early 70s, I got here in 1971, uh, which was right after the civil rights movement, the, the hippies, the, the anti-war movement, all the stuff was going on. And I was like, well, wait a minute, what happened here? <laughs> you know, so um, it was just a lot to soak in uh, at that time. And uh, to top it all off, uh, my father found out that all his assets, uh, were whatever he had was frozen in both countries. So we ended up with like the $100 he cashed at, at the airport. Yeah. What was left over from that after the taxi ride is what we had to live on. 
So um, needless to say, it, life was pretty rough uh, for a couple of years. And, um, you know, when you have absolutely nothing, you have to kind of figure out, you know, what's the next step? What do I do? But basically from that point on, I figured out the few things I could do to uh, improve my life. And eventually I went to college, you know, several years later and went on to graduate school, thought that I had achieved my dream and exceeded my dream at that point, mm -hmm. except that it was in all the materialistic things. I had a decent job. I had degrees. I had all that. But inside all the things that were internal, um, was, I was kind of suffocating and I was kind of dying slowly. My creativity was going, going out and I was listening to all the social media and the you know, the, the experts telling me all the right things I'm supposed to be doing for my life. And they, they knew nothing about me. Uh -huh. So um, when I uh, figured out that I was going to do the same thing to my kids that my parents did to me involuntarily, which was to leave me at home kind of unattended because they had to go to work two jobs a piece. Yeah. Um, I then started my company and, uh, you know, I, I, it was kind of starting over again. And uh, I then had to figure out how, how do I find a niche? How do I make a living? How do I then, um, you know, pretty much market it? How do I find my tribe? And, um, and I kind of did all that. So, you know, I'm here now. Um, so you can just kind of pick away at whatever portion of that story you want to uh -huh. dive into. Yeah. So I really want to dive into this and I want to get tactical on the business side really quick. We had a bunch of people that joined the chat. Hey guys, how are you right now? We're talking about how to build a $500 million brand with Victoria Wick. Make sure you hop on the right side and ask some questions, join the conversation. Um, and we will ask as long as we have enough time. Uh, we have a couple people already joined. We got hive mind. They said, let's go. Hive Mind's doing some really great things uh, with their CRM and uh, some stuff like this. You might want to check them out, Victoria. They're amazing. And then we got Avery who said, hey, so welcome you guys. Welcome you guys. Everybody else who's on, make sure you jump on the chat. That's the right side up here on YouTube below if you are on LinkedIn. Victoria, I want to talk about, before we get tactical, what inspired you and what was your internal drive? Because, you know, sadly, a lot of people don't take responsibility for their own energy, what they're bringing out into this world. And you had so many reasons, and I'm just going to call them excuses, where you could have just not done anything, but you came here and you had drive and you wanted to start a company. I tell people all the time, the American dream isn't to kind of just come and get a job. It's to come and start a business so what drove you, what made you through those tough times and going through that still want to bring so much massive value to the world? So you know, really good question. I think that when I landed in uh, East Los Angeles, which was, uh, you know, really tough environment there, uh, you could, as a child, say, you know, blame everybody, why me and cry all day and just, you know, pretty much refuse to do anything. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of kids in my neighborhood did that. Um, I chose to figure out, is there anything I could do? Is there anything I could do? Because anything is better than not doing anything. Yeah. So yeah. that one thing, that single thing that I thought I could do at age 13 was to learn to speak English because nobody spoke English in my family. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, you know, because they didn't have English as second um, uh, language schools or anything like that. So I asked my father to pretty much uh, give me a list of words to study. So he would start, he, he picked up a random dictionary and picked up like, uh, he would circle, you know, just a random words, uh, you know, from A through Z. And um, he gave me about 200 words a day. And I went from English to English dictionary. So when you look up a word, like if you were studying French and you said, you know, you looked up the word uh, bonjour and you, and you ended up definitions, all the words in the definitions are also born to you. So you keep doing this. Um there was a period where I didn't understand anything, but when I couldn't speak or do anything, I would sketch. So I'm pretty good at Pictionary, as you, you can probably imagine. Yeah. Uh, I would sketch things out, and that's how I communicated. So that, that single thing you could do, because believe it or not, I'm going to tell you, Roy, mm-hmm. I found out that Americans um, live on about 2,500 words. Most of us, with 2,500, we could get whatever we want done in our lives. Anything above that is fluff and, you know, ego about some fancy words, right? So if you think about that, that 2,500 words comes really fast if you're doing 200 words a day. So I learned to speak English. That got me to get to college. And then I got my college degree. So, you know, it's um, what I'm going to say is that one single thing you do today, mm-hmm. while you're listening to me right now, Think about the one thing you could do to change your life. And it could be a tiny, you know, for me, it was just a few words in a dictionary. Yeah. So not only, let me tell you how significant that step is, because as you know, I wrote two books mm-hmm. as an English, as a second language person, starting from that first word, yeah. which wasn't that long ago. So I would say uh, that's really important. And secondly, when it comes to drive, when your life is so simplified, I think that um, when you have things, you have choices. And I think about this because when I play golf, sometimes um, I can't decide whether I should put the five wood or you know three wood or if I should hit an iron because you have so many so many uh, things in your bag. You don't know what to do. When I when I had to go to a place and I rented a like a rental club and the thing only had like seven clubs, I had my best round ever <laughs> because you don't have to like, you know you commit to doing the best you can with what you have, right? So for me, I didn't have a choice. I had to find a way to get out of the situation that I was in. So that was a driving force. The fear of ending up like everybody else was a driving force for me. Uh-huh. It wasn't, I never thought I would ever make, I mean, my dream was to be able to get, get out and uh, be able to uh, rent an apartment of my own yeah. and drive any car. I could be, you know, beat up car, 10 year old car, any car. Those are the three things I wanted. And, um, I think I've slightly overachieved that now. Man, that is amazing. Um, not only are you a good storyteller, but you're very uh, good at finding, and and I'm good at this too, the 20% that give you 80% of the results. Breaking that oh. and saying, yeah. oh, there's 2,500 words. Okay, so I just need to do this. And finding that one thing. And for my audience, that one thing is to actually focus on sales, actually pick up the phone and actually get leads. But before we get into leads, there's something you said. You said I had to, when you started your business, you had to figure out your niche. And I teach finding your niche and I teach USP, unique selling proposition. And the word I like to use is a category of one. How do we create a category of one? So how did you go about thinking about your niche for your business and how do you think through that so that we can 
differentiate ourselves from everyone else. Because the first billionaire who asked me about my business, I noticed, and every billionaire that I've ever met, they all asked me, what makes you different? So how yeah. do you create uniqueness in your business? That is so true. So um, before I'll answer that question, the way I got to the end where I am a category of one in a business that's very competitive, but you know, everybody is making jewelry and everybody tells you they're a jewelry designer, interior, decorator, whatever. But I took a business that's 2000 years old. Jewelry has been, it's, you know, manufactured for 2000 years being and sold, you know, most of the uh, gold mined 2000 years ago is still in circulation today. So, so I took a business, it's that old at that archaic and ancient and elevated it, innovated it, and then dominated at the end. So you elevate, innovate and dominate. And there are three particular steps, you, you know, three phases you go through to get that. Mm -hmm. So going back to what's the niche and what makes you unique. Um, what made me unique at that time was that back in the mid eighties, I was the, uh, one of the first generation of women working outside the home in a managerial position. Before that women were working in an administrative position, but we were at managerial positions and, um, there were millions of women who got their degrees, you know, there were equal rights movement, all that stuff was going on. So we were getting hired. And women dressed like men at that time. Uh, if you, you you look like you're way too young to remember this, but um, <laughs> believe me, women wore the little, like tailored pencil skirts, mm-hmm. uh, a little business suit, and a white button-down shirt. Like ours would be collars would be kind of softened out, but we look like you know our male counterparts. Mm-hmm. And so all the women kind of shopped at Brooks Brothers, and they all kind of bought the same kind of looking thing. And we had like two inch pumps um, and you couldn't differentiate one woman from any other woman in terms of how she looked. And, you know, as I know, you know, many women who have incredible style, they couldn't express that. The jewelry industry at that time and even to today, there's a lot of opportunity. If you're an aspiring jeweler, there's so much opportunity because jewelry industry today even Uh is very archaic in that. It's mostly nighttime jewelry. You wear diamonds and fancy stuff at night. And then during the day, back then, jewelry you wore during the day, you either wore this nighttime jewelry and you look really like obnoxious in our workplace, or you wore junky, kind of like a brassy gold stuff that turned or plastic jewelry that made you look like you you couldn't afford anything better. So there was a huge need for jewelry for workplace. Jewelry that could tell someone that you were a successful, you had incredible taste and that you had a feminine side of you and that you were polished, you're intelligent. There was nothing like that. So I kind of just came in and created a whole collection and I spoke to my my tribe in that because you know, these women for the first time were working outside the home. They had their own income yeah. and they had a need. They had to go to work every day looking great. And there was nothing there. So, I mean, all I had to do was show up and, and I sold it at that time. Yeah. So you found kind of a problem, a need, and you fulfilled it. Um, that is super amazing. Let's dive into more tactical stuff. But really quick, we had a couple people chime in. Guys, make sure you ask some questions. We got a couple questions. We'll read them later. Brandy said, oh, my gosh, so cool. Uh, she also said, hi, in an ecstatic way. 
Um, before Victoria, we get into the elevate, innovate, dominate, which that just sparked my brain because now, <laughs> now, now you're teaching me. Your brain's always turning, so yeah, I'm starting to be like, okay, forget my audience. I need to get some coaching. But really quick, so after you created your business and you first set out, how did you mm -hmm. first um, go into the marketplace? to actually bring in leads and um, put artifacts into the marketplace and and show um, everyone what brand you are actually creating. How did you bring in leads to actually start making sales? How did you get out there? Okay, so we're going back to when I started my company it was 1989. This is before the internet, before uh, personal computers were actually a big thing. Mm -hmm. So. I'm going to tell you what I did, which is transferable today in today's technology. But what I tell you what I did, what I want you to get out of this conversation is thinking outside the box, thinking about, you know, what's what is the end goal and how do you accomplish that that task? Mm -hmm. So we know now we need to get leads coming in. Uh, I didn't have computers. We didn't we barely had fax machines back then. So what I did was um, I went down to the like a remember they used to have travel agencies, <laughs> they had travel agents down there, you know, and there's uh, there's resort uh, directories and all that. So I went to, to the travel agency downstairs and I borrowed their book because it was a global thing. And I would um, get like uh, about 25 names because I figure who by show me people, who, you know, who are traveling luxury, whatever. So I got 25 names of buyers, you know, the store names and all that. And then I also um, like they had yellow pages and so forth. So I called on the phone and I got names of department store buyers, you know, buyers of like Norsen, Demons, all, all these uh, in different regions. So I sent out 50 letters every single day. Yeah. And um, the other thing I want you to think about, too, is jewelry business back then. And it, it is to this day. I mean, they used to print this giant, expensive catalogs. That's how you told people what you had. That's how you told people you're a big company versus a small company. And these catalogs would cost, you know, twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 to produce. And they would only last like six months because you have to keep updating styles. Yeah. I didn't have that kind of money. I didn't have 5000 bucks. I didn't have $500. Yeah. So yeah. what I did was um, I bought a Polaroid camera. And I would take pictures of my styles and I would only send four of those Polaroids because that, that was a first class stamp uh, weight, by the way, mm -hmm. send four. And I would send it to an email Marcus buyer and say, hey, you know, this uh, style is brand new. It's fresh off the press. And in fact, it was so fresh off the press. That, I mean, we couldn't even put it in our latest catalog. I didn't have a catalog. I just kind of fibbed. Uh, I intended to have a catalog, but I didn't have it then. But, you know, this is so perfect for your client because blah, blah, blah. And I would send it to her by first class mail. And because it only cost me like 10 cents to send it, I was able to send it multiple times a week. Mm -hmm. So I did I did 50 of these um, a day. Now, why did I pick a number 50? Well, because I I learned that the response rate from a direct mail piece like that was like uh, 5% at most. So I thought, okay, well, if they said 5% at most, they they probably really mean 5%. Uh -huh. So when I look at the number back and I thought, mm, you know, because I'm new and nobody knows who I am and I'm sending these pathetic, you know, Polaroid things, mm -hmm. I'm probably going to be looking at like 2.5%. So I kind of decided, uh, uh, so 50 a day is like 250 a week. And they were highly targeted to the buyer's name uh, and, and I've shopped their store. So, you know. 
So what happened was actually my direct response uh, rate was at 10%. Mm-hmm. So I ended up getting a pretty good response on that. So that was my early lead generation. So in today's time, I would say your lead gen today is again, do your homework, personalize it, make sure you have a very clear message that speaks to that person's need. And you know, don't send the dear buyer letter ever. Um, did I answer that question correctly? Or not? You, answered it, you answered it perfect. And what um, I hope people picked up is the numbers because you know, they say entrepreneurship is risky and somewhat, but if you know your numbers, math right. plus marketing equals yeah. money and you knew your math. And if you know your math, you just know exactly what you got to do to get the job done. I know in, in inquiring businesses, I need to make 2000 cold calls to acquire uh, a business roughly. And so at the end of the day, you could break it down how you did and make 50 calls a day and you just go through it. And so in psychology, they call it chunking, chunking it down to the numbers, to the very simple numbers. And that really is the genius behind what you did. Um, After bringing in those leads, did you have to make sales calls or was it just like they were so passionate about and loved the designs, they just kind of picked up? uh, Oh, no. No, 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 no such thing. So uh, when you're an entrepreneur, you, you know, the beginning entrepreneur, you have the first four months is just absolutely excruciating. Uh, You know, if you are a realist and you understand the reality, maybe the first week you're like, oh, my God, I'm starting adults. But, you know, month three or four and you got no business, you know, things can really be tough. So even as those elites were coming in, I was still insecure about am I going to actually close any of these deals? Right. So I did several things at the same time. Uh, the first thing is I actually went to the local department store and asked them if I could have like a trunk show because the trunk shows usually, and I never had enough enough uh, merchandise to actually make it work, mm-hmm. but I still got great uh, reads. I had lookbooks for all these th- different designs and I said, you know what, I ha- these things are coming next and if you guys want to order this now, you can order this now. So I actually got pre-sales that way. Mm-hmm. And the other thing too is the stuff that I actually had I let them feel it and touch it and all that. And then with that, I was able to go to the department store buyer and say, look, I was just there for two, two, three hours and I've actually outsold all your case line stuff. So, you know, if you give me a case line, I will make sure that that, you know, the years 36 inches you're giving me is going to be the most productive 36 inches you ever had. So it made it easier. Um, So I had like a multi-pronged strategy. So today, if you, if you're, you know, if you're thinking, oh, I've got a LinkedIn ad, so that's just going to work, or I've got, I'm crushing it on Instagram and that's going to work. No, you need to go to multiple profit paths yeah. and um, kind of, you know, they all work together and you're going to find different things from different places. I mean, I got a lot. Of, I'll tell you what, the the lookbooks gave me the fifty hundred thousand dollar, the private clients that I would have never had. Wow. So. I got the, that private client. It still goes on today, by the way. I have a separate business that uh, it's it's rachelandvictoria.com. It's, we sell only conflict-free diamonds and all that. And, you know, the average price point there today is $15,000 selling to millennials. Wow. Um, and it's a fabulous, beautiful site. And then so I had that going from day one. Then I had the department store business going on because I didn't know which part of this thing was going to actually really be the thing that's going to be the 80%. So I was testing, you know, they always say test, then build. 
So I tested all the different ways with the same thing to see where, you know, you want to make sure that the 20% of your efforts is bringing the 80%. So I, I didn't know where that 20% actually was most, most efficient. So I did all pretty much all those things at that time. You have a, what I call a product integration suite. A lot of people think that Apple sells phones and watches and computers, but they actually sell iTunes, which is their software, and they put it in different modalities. So you have a high tier and different tiers, just next level. uh, And I'm going to have to disagree with you. I think you are a genius. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, you need to meet some smart people. (laughs) Just the way you're breaking it down. Uh, Everyone, make sure you hop on the chat to ask Victoria some questions or comments. We have a bunch of questions here. We're going to go through those in just a minute here. And um, also bring in some comments. I'm going to just bring this one up because it's cool. Avery said, utilize every platform because each platform opens another lane or stream of revenue. Mind blown. 100, 1,000. So that is awesome. Okay, Victoria, let's talk about kind of the last um, aspect of business. So leads the the actual experience you create and then the follow-up did you have a follow-up sequence or did you have a way to get repeating customers um, oh yes yes uh, so follow-up is about that. yeah mm-hmm. follow-up is everything okay follow-up is absolutely everything and let me tell you something this is um i don't usually say this things out to a lot of people because in some ways i'm a little bit embarrassed but in other ways it's really a cool trick uh-huh. So back then, um, what I did was, remember I told you I sent the Polaroids? So I sent it to them, um, you know, um, uh, about once a week to the same people. Um, and I would call them, uh, and I would always call them when I know they're not there. Yeah, I know you think it's pretty kind of crazy, but I would call them, make sure that it was like after 8 p.m. their time. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I know that they weren't there. If they're there, I mean, you know, I mean, I had only one person that actually answered the phone. <laughs> but most of the time, counting on them not being there because when you leave a voicemail, they don't cut you off. You get to leave a whole speech there. Yeah. So um, I had a little script and, I, you know, hey, you know, I'm so and so and I just sent you this. So uh, so they listen to it and, I, and I, they don't I respond to it right away. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing about psychology of follow up. If you are a buyer, if you're a department store buyer right now, if you're a buyer at Best Buy or if you're a buyer at Neiman's, whatever, and you're under enormous pressure to deliver profits, top line profits, inventory turn for your company. Okay. So every buy, every, every year, every company has the buyer of the year, you know, and there's different ways they're rewarded and they all have vendors they can count on right now. So when you come in and say, Oh, I've got a new jewelry line They, you know, but you know, that she's a jewelry buyer, she's already connected to a bunch of vendors. So what happens though is because we're dealing with human beings. The vendors are human beings, manufacturers, FedEx, all this stuff. Somebody sometimes drops a ball. The more business you do, the more chances you have to screw up. So when you screw up, the buyer is like, oh my God, I've got an ad coming out. It's a huge buy and they're going to be like four days late. It's four days after my whole ad campaign breaks. Holy shit. Like, I don't know what to do. And they're panicking and freaked out. And they're like, you know what? It's a total mistake to give all that business to so-and-so. You know what? That Victoria, you know, what was that them again? You know, there, there's that, that woman with the Polaroid. Um, you know, like, 
I've heard of her before. I know I've heard of her before. I know she's not, you know, she's been very consistent. I better pick up the money. You know, she'll ask the assistant, go and get it. Yeah. So I was always counting on somebody making a mistake. And so you got to be that consistent person that keeps on touching her. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, persistency, resiliency, and then also just time. So what I did was I sent those email, the letters. Mm-hmm. And then later on, when the email technology came in, I would send their emails. And then uh, later on, I kind of perfected this. So the, the buyers of bigger companies like Neiman's and stuff, I would send them, first of all, I'd send them FedEx first. Then I send a copy of it in regular first class mail. So they're getting it twice the same thing already. Um, then they'll get, get the email and then they would have the whole separate sequence again. So that follow up is 99% really. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be complicated. It could be that simple. Yeah. Just being consistent. So many people want to do a launch, a product launch, but sometimes consistency is just your product launch. Victoria, you talked about elevating, innovating, and dominating. And so I just wanted to run through that real quick. Step one, how do we elevate? So the business, the jewelry business was, you know, really old at that time. So, you know, uh, it was designed for your mother or your grandmother, whoever. They really didn't. I mean, most jewelry companies didn't even have a designer there because they didn't need to. You know, you got a wedding band, a charity band, a watch. Um, So when I came in and I showed the emotional side of this, you know, because what I saw and this is another thing uh, I'd like you to think about, too, for those of you who are current entrepreneurs, as well as people who aspire to be one. Mm-hmm. Think about what business you're really in, because, yes, I'm selling jewelry, I'm designing jewelry. But what is the problem that my customer has? Right. The problems my customer, what I'm selling is a way, a visual way for you to memorialize your milestone moments. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I really designed pieces. So, you know, if I'm uh, on TV and I'm t- and I'm going to be on TV next week with my live show mm-hmm. on Shop HQ, but when I'm on TV, I rarely talk about me, uh, me, me, me. Like that's like that's like the, the sales killer number one, as you know. So instead of going on TV saying I designed this wonderful, you know, I love sketching this, I love sketching that, and I was looking outside my window and. There was just beautiful flowers and I did this and, um, you know, I tested over it. I wore it the other day to a party and everybody complimented me and, you know, and I was sitting next to so-and-so movie star and you should have it too. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That's about 90% of the presentations on TV now. That's how people sell things. Yeah. When I go on, I don't do that. What I do is I say, look, I can't believe we just went through like 18 months of COVID. Mm-hmm. I'm just so glad that, you guys can finally live the life you want to live, you know, go and see your friends and go and see your, you know, whoever and go on a, you know, on a boat, have a party. And when you do, you're going to have these wonderful pieces of jewelry that I designed while I was in COVID. And so that you could, you know, glow and permeate your positivity and your radiance. And when you're enjoying that, you know, the first moment when you're, you know, interacting with those people, you're going to remember these pieces for 40 years from now. Yeah. And you, and I'm going to just tell you, you are going to love the fact that you didn't break the bank, that it was guilt-free shopping, and that these things are timeless pieces that you enjoy, flowers, butterflies, whatever. And this entire collection is, this, you know, celebrating you, your life. You know, I, I named this, um, you know, family, friends, and faith or something like that. So what happens is this was a youth-centric collection and you're talking about the youth-centric thing. So when we are talking, going back to um, elevating it, I've elevated the product quality because now there was an emotional connection to the 
quality, but I've completely elevated the experience. Mm. You know, Roy, think about this one thing. How many billion cups of coffee were sold at a dollar, 39 cents to a dollar a cup until Starbucks came in and elevated the same product? They elevated the experience. And I mean, look, what they're putting in their cup of coffee, is that anything revolutionary? No, they got the same coffee, same cream, right? It's nothing new, but they have learned to elevate, tweaked what was there. So what I tell people is you you got only two ways to really make money. You can invent something new. I mean, if you're a scientist, chemist, whatever, you can do that. I don't have the ability to that. I told you I was stupid. So what I do is you do what everybody else is doing already. There's a huge demand for something. And then you just do it cheaper, faster, and better than everybody. And so I took the latter route to elevate. Elevate by creating an experience and solving a problem. And like I tell my audience all the time, everybody has the same problem. And that's the ability to, they have the problem of ability, the ability of solving their problems. So if you can help them do that, uh, they'll help you so much. How do we innovate, Victoria? So innovation. How do we elevate? Yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, innovate. Uh, so all of you who are listening, Brandy, uh, she was uh, commenting on on this. If you're still there, you know she knows what she's talking about because every woman knows this. When you go buy a, a chain for your necklace, Stores to this day will offer you chains in 18, 24, 30 inch, inch uh, lengths. I don't know why that is, but it's like a, it's God's law that we all have 18 inch necks or something. That's actually not the case. Uh, the human necks, first of all, if you were to, you know, take, uh, think about it, men, when you buy men's shirt, it's 15 and a half, 16 is like a shirt size normally. So an 18 inch uh, chain on a young girl doesn't actually even fit. So this whole industry uh, offering all the bracelets in size seven, when most women actually can't wear size seven, Uh, you know, my family, uh, most of the women in my family were size six. And then, um, you know, my husband's side of the family, they were like size, uh, like seven and a half, eight, but nobody, I don't know anybody who wears size seven. So the industry just pretty much had one size. So I basically came in, offered, um, because you could go to a store, buy it, and then you would have to leave it there, pay 40 bucks extra to get it shortened or lengthened. Yeah. And it would be three or four weeks. And then whenever you do that, too, because the soldering is not perfect, you know, there's a lot of product problems with that, too. So I actually offered it in size six, six and a half, seven, seven and a half and eight. Mm-hmm. And that extra, those lengths were about 50% of the total business. 50%. Wow. <laughs> You know, it was a lot of uh, so innovating, um, you know, also when you buy state like a a silver bracelet, Mm -hmm. silver is a lot softer than gold. And so when you have hinges and things like that, they either got stuck or they're too, um, too loose. So I actually worked with uh, scientists and, you know, like uh, engineers to come up with the material that was part stainless steel and part silver. Stainless steel can't be cast. You can't actually use that a lot of it. So if you solder on stainless steel with silver, they'll just break off right away. So there needs to be a little bit of that innovation that went on. But and then when you actually put enough stainless steel, you can't call it silver because they actually test it like, a you know, 92.5 percent has to be silver. So a lot of my innovations were just 
functional little things like sizes, the weight, uh, how they fit, and uh, and the clasps, and and the and I hate those little springs that break, you know. So, um, and then you know when I couldn't convince the manufacturers to make me fifteen and a half uh, length uh, necklaces. Eventually, later on, I said, you know what? Why do we even have to make that decision? Why don't I give a woman a choice to wear whatever length she wants? You know, sometimes she wants to wear it as a choker, sometimes she wants to wear it long. Yeah. So I had the chain there, and then I just put in like a lot more hooks at the bottom, like little rings that are bigger. So now there's like a three-inch extender that are really cool, you know, sexy on the back. So now they can just buy one length, and they could wear it as a 15 and a half, 18, 20, uh, all the way up to 20. So Today, a lot of jewelers have copied that uh, that methodology, but I was the first for maybe ten years. Nobody believed in it, but you know, uh, it it's it's a lot of little innovation type things. Because you know, when I first came up with a lot of that, I pretty much owned the whole market for that. Yeah. That is super smart. We elevated, we innovated. How do we dominate? How do we take it to that next level? So uh, when my business got to be big enough. Um, so I became known as that problem solver, known as the continuously innovating person who stepped up the game. And also the only person who actually brought emotion back to the designs. You know, uh, I, I come up with, you know, if I'm telling someone that you're going to wear that, you're going to buy this for a hundred dollars, you're going to wear this until you die. And after you're done, the next three or four generations of women are going to love it. In order for that statement to be true, it, it has to be more than the fact that it's still kind of uh, there. In other words, when you go to like an estate sale or when you go to a garage sale, you see something that's 100 years old. It looks like it's 100 years old. It doesn't look like something you're going to want to wear today. So my designs, actually, every single piece has uh, some uh, timeless element to it. So if I put in like, uh, let's say, some hint of butterflies or flowers not it's it's not an obvious thing, but very subtly uh, built into baked into the design. Butterflies and flowers have been here for a couple of billion years before we ever occupy the earth, right? So they're going to be very classics. Uh, so I have a classic element to this, but I also have a, it is for a modern woman. So it's a marriage of different cultures and different uh, design elements there. So quality lasts because I'm only using premium quality, but designs are timeless because, you know, it, it's a very softer feminine and I can talk to it this way. Yeah. So you have a category there of one in the product section. Yeah. But where I became the category one is that when you're, when you're buying, um, I've sold over 10 million pieces of jewelry. Ooh. So if you go to like a regular Macy's right now, they're lucky to sell 2000 pieces a year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's, those are the facts. So yeah. when you are doing this and I pick up a phone, you know, and they discover uh, a new gemstone, let's say uh, some guy in Tanzania discovers a new uh, gemstone and said, you know, this is a Tanzanite, but it's actually uh, green or something. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there's actually a thing called the green Tanzanite. I usually get the first call because they know I can basically get rid of the whole mine. I, I, you know, I don't buy something now, uh, a, a, 10, 20 carats at a time, you know, I'll buy 100, 200, 300, whatever they have, I can just commit to all of it and get rid of it. So what happens is I'm able to buy at some ridiculous price advantage mm -hmm. that no one's going to be able to, you know, kind of compete wow. with. And secondly, I'll have an exclusive forever on a stone as long as, so, you know, I've launched a lot of gemstones that nobody ever had access to. Mm -hmm. So then if you're a jewelry lover, you become the person that, that can't be ignored 
you become the person from the vendor side as well as the customer side. So that's it's a multi-pronged approach to get to that category of one, but that's pretty much you know nutshell what it is. That's amazing. Wow, that's amazing. Let's get to the live viewers real quick. Brandy is blowing up the chat. She said, Wow. Roy, great show. Uh, what we've got here. Thank you, Victoria. This info is golden. Avery said, Victoria, you're amazing. Absolute genius. Let's see, Victoria. Let's see. Uh, Thank you, Avery and Brandy. You guys made my afternoon probably the week. Yeah. Avery had a question here. So Avery says, was it scary to take the necessary steps into trying something new as far as learning something to improve your life? And if so, how did you overcome that fear to do what you had? So I think he's talking about the part of the story where you came in and you said, I'm going to learn English. Um, and we didn't really bring it up, but fear is kind of um, a thing we talk about a lot though, and imposter syndrome. Were you yeah. scared in, in starting your business, growing your business? And how did you work through that fear? Yeah, so a Avery, I fear is real. Uh, imagined or not, it's real. And uh, but I think that um, what I've learned throughout this whole process, and, and I've done a lot of uh, mentoring, coaching, uh, all of this for free. I would say that uh, for an entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneur, we are often our worst enemies. We are often the self-doubters. Um, you know, there are plenty of people who doubt you from the outside, but deep inside, you also are not completely sure if you can kind of cut it through. This is why when people tell you you're not going to make it, it matters to you. Yeah. So I would say um, that, and that fear continues on even after you become very successful. So I'm going to say it right out here right now that I had different fears at zero dollars and I had different fears at a million dollars. And I, you know, so as you grow, as you, your business grows, your fear gets bigger. Yeah. And um, so there's, there's definitely um, uh, sort of like a point, uh, like a crossroads point where the fear becomes even more real because you got much more at stake, but it is scary, but the best way you overcome that fear is preparation. I think that, um, Think about it this way. All animals, uh, you know, when you watch little squirrels or whoever, they, it's, we are DNA coded to fear. We're DNA coded to defend ourselves. We're DNA coded to like panic and things like that. We are not DNA coded to have courage. Yeah. Courage is something you have to actually, it's the antidote, but it, you have to work on it all the time. Yeah. So, you know, make sure that you, if fear is real, it could be a huge driving factor, but you do need to believe in yourself because if you don't believe in yourself, then it's hard for other people to believe you. And the other, the other comforting thing about this is this, I will say that all the failures I've had and there, I've had many, it would, it would take like three days of shows for me to go over those with you, but all the failures I had were not only key to my success eventually, but you, 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 I would almost say that you almost have to plan on failing and you need to understand that failure is going to be your best thing that you need to embrace for you to succeed. Because without failure, you're never going to succeed. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, if you have you ever seen a skier, like a world class skier that never failed? No. That means that guy never skied, really. Right. <laughs> so, you know, just make sure that you understand 
failure it should be expected and it's natural it's not the what happens to you it's not the failure it's what you do after yeah. it's what it's how you get up and it's how many steps you go forward never go back yeah. consistency consistency james yeah. said you're truly amazing thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us all he said can you please share a learn a life a learning lesson that can be beneficial to other people just any uh, learning lesson that you learned on your journey i think that you know there were times when i said to myself okay I, I i work so hard my life has been just just really difficult since i was like 15 years old i worked two three jobs all the time i've been a good girl i mean i've helped everybody and my business is about ready to fail like you know somebody doesn't pay me or something and i'm like oh my god what do i do and maybe all the smart people are right maybe maybe i was going to fail anyway just out of sheer determination i lasted 3 years instead of 2 years or 1 year mm -hmm. when those times come you know to you i said to myself there is no and you have no, nothing else to hang on to i would say i used to say to myself you know what i'm not going to cave in now because that's the easy easy thing to do and i'm not going to sit all this time i'm sitting here thinking about you know what's going to happen to me now there was if there's one thing i could do i'm going to go do it and that god could not have put me on earth for me to go through all of this just to watch me starve that's just not going to happen yeah so i'm going to do but i can't ask god for anything unless i'm willing to do something yeah. and if there's one thing left to do and i can't go to god and say i did everything yeah. if there's like four things i could have done i didn't do it well then i probably didn't deserve it so i just went ahead and continued looking for the one thing i could do and i you know and i i'm a really believer in that one little thing yeah. that you could do because that always sparks a snowballing effect yeah. and i hope that that was a good enough life lesson for you james yeah. thank you for asking the question thank you so much victoria all right victoria we got a couple minutes here so we have a part of the show we call the red zone where we ask you fa five fast acting questions and you just just kind of uh, answer them quickly and, and break down the whys of those questions. But they're questions that I find are sometimes hard for people like us to answer. Randy said, amen. Are you ready? I am ready, or maybe not. It's coming either way. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, let's do it. All right, Victoria, what's your favorite book and why? Can I give you two books? <laughs> My favorite, um, I, I, I'm a major reader because I, um, that's how I saw the world, you know, when I lived in Korea. Um, my favorite book in the world, is The Great Gatsby, because it has a lot of people that are flawed. And in the end of the whole story, we somehow find ourselves rooting for the, the, the worst character, Daisy, to end up with this guy who is a total liar. So I think that's kind of, you know, very uh, uh, good. Uh, Business-wise, my favorite book is uh, *The Good to Great*. If you have you read that book, um, yes, I, I love that book a lot. So, you know, th that's my answer. What's your favorite quote or a quote that you live by? Oh, okay, that's very easy. Uh, Maya Angelou's quote: uh, "People will forget what you said or what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel." Uh, so, in my business, obviously, I need to make them feel great all the time. <laughs> So it's great, but I, I also um, in my business, you know, I'm I'm uh, from a different country, so I got to watch 
the very different uh, opinions. And, and our country is very divided now as well. And what I know is that a lot of times people will say something and they don't hear what they sound like. Um, so when I repeat the question, um, they'll like, oh my God, that sounded pretty ridiculous, but it kind of gets to them. So a lot of times the most sensitive people in the world are the ones that are, that really pisses other people off. Yeah. So uh, just watch how you make people feel. It's, it's that delivery and the tone and the respect that you deliver your speech with. Yeah. Yeah. Feelings, feelings. Um, would you rather be loved or respected? Mm, that's a hard one. Um, respected, probably. I, I think that it's something, I'm a hard worker, and I think that respect is something you have to earn. Uh, you know, we all love people who, you know, who hurt us and all that, but it's hard to respect people who don't earn it. So, and you don't earn that respect over one day, you earn it over a lifetime. So that keeps me on my toes. So I would say respect. Yeah, yeah. Respect is like rent is due. It's always due. Um, If you could spend 24 hours with anyone who's ever lived in history, who would it be and why? My dad. My dad, you know, he never... um, he made the most incredible, incredible sacrifices any human can make for his children. And sadly, he didn't uh, watch uh, what all his daughters became. You know, he died just before, like all of us kind of blossomed out into these very successful, I, I think he'd be very proud of us today. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Amazing. You know, it's, you know, I'm starting to evaluate, you know, just, you know, being more connected to family because as I, I ask that question all the time to the most successful mm-hmm. people, it's never like anyone who's considered huge in history. It's always like, like um, I spoke to Patty from Stanford. Uh, she does innovation at Stanford. She was like my papa. I, you know, I want to talk to her. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think about him every day and um, the very difficult moments uh, in my life, I would always say, what would my dad do? Because he, he was uh, a very wise person, you know, not degrees type thing, but wise. So yeah, my dad for sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Who do you think I should get on the show next but whoever that you think i should have on the show you have to make that connection if i don't know i'm already yeah i'll definitely find uh, uh, the best person for you i know a lot of great people and um and i know kind of your the kind of people that you're going to be connecting with because you not only want people who experience but you know kind and kind of transparent yeah. person and i and i kind of like that so yeah i'll definitely get you mm-hmm. some amazing people for you there you go, Victoria. Tell everybody where to find you. I have your Instagram handle on here. Wasn't sure what social you want to focus on, but if anybody wants to just go look at your story, become inspired, grab some jewelry, connect with you on social media, your energy is amazing. We thank you for coming. Uh, where can we uh, connect with you? Yeah, so Million Dollar Hobbies, um podcast. And by the way, all of you, Randy, Avery, all of you, if you have a unique story, you can apply to be on my guest because I'm actually trying to diagnose some of the like uh, early problems on the show. Um, so Million Dollar Hobbies podcast, Million Dollar Hobbies book uh, will be coming up. Uh, you can sign up for that. I, I have nothing to sell on my website, but you can go to victoriawick.com, um, which is the the world of Victoria. You know, So I've got the, the jewelry, the books and the you know everything else. And uh, I just... 
more than anything, I uh, want, I would love an opportunity to just engage with you and connect with you and, um, and be able to impact the world, you know, in a way that's positive because I am so grateful and I live every day with so much gratitude that, you know, I almost feel guilty enjoying this wonderful weather and what I have. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's the same, same. I love it down there and, uh, down there. It's so sunny. Yeah. Can't wait to get outside, hit the gym, and just just be outside. Thank you so much, Victoria, for giving us your time, giving us your patience, giving us your knowledge. Thank you, everybody who hopped on the live. Brandy, last comment said, love you guys. We love you, too. Until next time, always remember to be yourself. Peace. Bye-bye. This is the Entrepreneur Underdog. Business secrets to help doubted entrepreneurs triumph. The Underdog Entrepreneur is where we use fast-acting shortcuts to help underdog entrepreneurs make more money, have a bigger impact, and live a better lifestyle so that they can prove their haters wrong. And now, your host, Roy Red. Roy Red. Roy Red.